Hello there. This is the Joys of Teaching Literature. My name is Scott Cameron. I'm with Teachers Workshop. Uh, you can find me online, theteachersworkshop.com. And I offer uh, online professional development for English teach high school English teachers. So the topic I'm covering this week is four ways to simplify teaching English language arts. In Walden, Thoreau famously declared, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. I'll never forget it. It really stuck with me when I read it. I think about it every time I lesson plan. A long time ago, I watched Finish First with Dan Rather and remember learning about the incredible simplicity of the curriculum in Finland. It made me think about how important it is to simplify things for our students. There are so many things to simplify in high school English. The first thing, simplify the story. This is the hardest thing for any teacher. Take a very difficult and complicated topic and make it easy to understand. It's the heart and soul of excellent teaching. We paraphrase, we break it down into parts, we compare it to similar ideas or something we see in the news, we use props, we use stories from our own lives, or ask students to think about a personal experience that demands a reimagining of the same internal conflict or dilemma of the character. Sometimes a chart or a graphic organizer helps, or a scene from a movie. Sometimes historical context or a concept from psychology or another science helps. Every writer lives in a society with specific social codes, language, and etiquette, but they also live outside of that world, a world we call fiction, where everything is imaginary and nothing else exists but the words and the story. English is a subject that involves everything. It's both breadth and depth. We hope that the words from a story conjure up a greater understanding that gets at the scheme of things. In the end, our students read the most brilliant minds in history, like Jane Austen, Ralph Allison, Virginia Woolf, and William Shakespeare, and ask us, ask us to make sense of the pressing questions they asked. They want us to help them zoom in on the important stuff and take a look around. The second thing we can simplify is literary techniques. So we all know that the only way to get to the bottom of complex prose or poetry is by interpreting literary techniques. So the way I do it, I, I just start talking about literary techniques by saying, look, they're all comparisons, right? Symbol is this represents that. A metaphor is this is that. A simile, this is like that. Juxtaposition, this is next to that, right? Irony, this defies that. Rhyme, this word connects to that word. Onomatopoeia, this sounds like that. That's the one we all loved from when we were kids. So it's, it's incredibly simple when you think it in terms of that. It's a relationship between two things, right? So once they know what it is, once they are able to, to identify and define the term, then they can decide why this, the writer or speaker used the device. So if someone calls a person a snake, it's not really important that they... You know, student or, or the audience can say, hey, well, he just used the metaphor, right? But it is important that the speaker felt attacked. Why else would you call someone a snake, right? Or that they made an unfair judgment of a person by calling them a snake. So, oh, that was really mean. He just called that person a snake, right? You take someone's humanity away when you call them a snake. You dehumanize them. But they might deserve it. That's really up for you to decide. So when it comes to simplifying the type of narration or identifying the tone, this is more about prose and short fiction, it's all about who knows what. So what does this narrator know and what do they not know? Are they inside the head of the character or outside? 
Now that's really simplifying it because we have terms like limited omniscient narration, uh, regular omniscient narration. Uh, we have the different voices of the different characters, free, free, what's called free and direct discourse, where in the third person we get the actual voices of the characters inside their own head. So all the, the terminology is, is super complicated. Uh, there's a way of simplifying that too by defining the terms and everything else. But on a basic level, the important things, are they inside the head of the character or outside? You know, in the first person, that's simple. But then it gets a little bit more complicated with the third person. So when we show students how to conduct a close reading of prose or poetry, we're defining difficult words and clarifying connotations. Right? We're reading slowly and with the emotions of the speaker. We're rereading the passage and we're modeling exactly what we want them to do when they consume language. If they can simplify and comprehend a complicated poem or passage, they can simplify and comprehend anything. Right, third thing, simplify directions. So not just the, the content and the, the literature itself, but how we teach, right? So every day students shuffle from classroom to classroom. They're expected to learn new sets of academic terms and teaching styles everywhere they go. And on top of that, every new year brings a new set of expectations and way of doing things. So a little of that's good, right? They need to adapt to different personalities as they grow up. Right? They should experience new, higher standards. But, on the other hand, if we create a classroom with too many rules and directions, our students will become puppets on a string, not free, independent thinkers. They'll drown in academic etiquette. We aim for a smooth transition from kindergarten to senior year. Right? Introduce them to the rules, then gradually let them decide when to break those rules. When we ask students to create something, we ask them to go in their own direction to be a creator, not a critic. Um, you know, every year at the end of my poetry unit, uh, I ask my students, all right, you know, you know Sonnet, Villanelle, Sestina, all these rhyme schemes, you know how to scan a line of poetry, uh, you know about all the different literary devices and figurative language, you know, now, now just go, go and write a poem, just write a poem. And they're always like freaking out about that, right? They're like, what? A poem? A poem about what? Like, what am I supposed to write a poem about? And, uh, you know, I just always find that really, like, surprising. It's like, I'm giving you total freedom, right? You can write anything. You can write about, about anything and say whatever you want. That's the point of creativity. It comes from you. There is no prompt. There's no me telling you what to write. You're writing it, right? So I just say anything, write anything. It's your poem, right? Write anything. What a crazy idea. All right, and then that, that's a good transition to the, the last and final thing I, I want to stress that we should simplify, and that's questions, right? So you have directions for how to complete an assignment uh, and all the expectations that we have for doing work, but also uh, how, to, how we ask questions. This is the most important really thing that teachers do is ask really great questions, right? So at some point in education, there's no need for a question though. When our students first start high school, they desperately want a question answered because the question contains the answer, right? Oftentimes their response to the question contains a rewording of the question because that way they can't be wrong. Think about it, right? Here's the question. Why is the sky blue? How do they respond? I'm sure we've all heard this, right? The sky is blue. 
So the answer is not incorrect, because the sky is in fact blue, but obviously that doesn't answer this incredibly complex and challenging question. In freshman year, there's a possibility that students haven't encountered enough ideas. You know, perhaps they need a question to get them started. But when I talk to my seniors, you know, the message should be a little bit different, right? You tell me, what do you think this book is about, right? We don't want them working hard to find support for our ideas, because again, the, the, the question contains our ideas. We want them to dig deep into their own thoughts. We want them to take the main idea of the text and do something exciting with it. In elementary school, my teacher told us to keep a journal with our thoughts and experiences. You can't really get any simpler than that. It was a brilliant, wonderful activity just in, you know, hey, right, tell me about your life. Uh, I filled six journals with messy, incomplete, and imperfect feelings with my imperf imperfect feelings in life. And then in middle school, another brilliant assignment that I, that I remember, it's incredible that I can remember it, but, you know, when you get a great assignment like that and you produce, you know, something you're proud of, it sticks with you through time, Right. My social studies teacher allowed us to spend all year, the entire year, we started at the beginning, we met the librarian, and she walked us all around, showed us the different resources. Uh, and every you know, few weeks or a couple months, we would stop in and, and they'd give us a chance to write and read. Um, and, and we could pick the topic. That was crucial, right? We had to pick the topic. Now, they kind of talked us through, well, you know, it's a topic, or why don't you try this, or whatever, but ultimately, it was up to us. <laughs> and I picked uh, the wonderful Bob Dylan. And I don't know, I think I just saw a picture of his hair and just thought, I want to know more about that guy. Um, so I ended up reading five biographies. I think it was at least five biographies, probably more. Um, and I bought a bunch of his albums. In the end, I wrote a 20-page paper on <laughs> This is middle school. So sometimes our students need a little spoon feeding. But sometimes they just need to let us go. They need us to let go.